and where they meet is on... There is no fighting. There is no fighting between Kirk and Picard. Captain's Pot, Starlake 511722.3. Welcome aboard a small Jeffrey's tube inside the Starship's Enterprise, and thank you for joining us as we take a brief shore leave from the world of cinema sins to explore the universe of Star Trek. I'm your Captain Ian Whittington, and she's played one too many games of Parisi Squares. It's Ambassador Danae Hughes. I once spent like two months playing Sudoku, just solid every like day. Like I you didn't couldn't eat, stop. Drink? You didn't do anything else? Is this how you lost your last job? You don't have to answer that. <laughs> <laughs> I like, okay, so you said Jeffrey's tube. We talk about this in the outtakes, mm-hmm. but we are in very close proximity today. And it feels like when somebody comes over to your side of the desk, <laughs> Just, like, it you've starts got, touching like, your thing. You've got your little notebook and your pen set. You have like three pens set up in like a very specific order and then your book and then whatever you're working from. And then someone just comes over and moves everything and elbows you and, and stuff. And, and puts their drink right oh, where your hand that's goes a little ring yeah. that's on that it's gonna be a strange episode no. today it's like when you're writing your left you're right-handed and some dick that writes with their left hand sits next to you so your elbows are just so the sin as always is left-handed people yeah. <laughs> lefties um no um where we usually record is unavailable because the entire house is the entire deck is infected by uh, the Commodore's infection. So we are in a tiny way. <laughs> no, I'm going to leave that there. We're going to be talking from a tiny, tiny Jeffrey's tube. And today we'll be talking about season three, episode eight of Lower Decks, which is Crisis Point 2, Paradoxus. Speaking of Crisis Point 2, we have two dogs that are in crisis and constantly needing Ian's attention. I have a dog that is literally, it is a giant schnauzer climbing up my arm and pouring at my head. And I just gave him water. And and now he's just left. He's just pissed off and left. (laughs) This is going to be chaotic, but I'm here for it. Yeah, let's do it. So now Crisis Point 2, Paradoxus as an episode title. What do you think is going to happen? Are you confused? I never get these right. I don't think I've gotten any of them right this entire season, like no. based on the introduction. So I think that this one's going to have a portal with the gravity problems. I think that there's going to be gravity problems in this one. And I'm pretty sure someone's going to fall down in this one as well. That's my Just fall over. Not necessarily for no reason, but they're going to fall. Someone's going to push them. All I'm seeing is people falling down. Okay. Well, this is an interesting one because um, Crisis Point is an episode from season one where Boimler is basically creating some Star Trek Starfleet fan fiction in the holodeck where he's the captain and does all kinds of adventures and whatnot. Um, Mariner says that he's lame and then has like an, a nervous emotional breakdown and takes over the program and rewrites the movie so that she's the bad guy in like a wrath of khan sort of evil thing and the entire episode is basically lower decks the movie but with loads of like of the movie stereotypes so they're sat in the middle of space and the opening credits keep knocking them out because they whoosh by but they're all in the way of the credits it's just, it's, it's funny um so i th- I'm guessing they're going to do something similar to that. It feels like, because this is Mike McMahon, when Rick and Morty do interdimensional cable, this is kind of the equivalent, but for lower deck. So they get to do something wacky on the holodeck where they throw all the rules out of the window. So 
obviously this is going to be a sequel to that, I believe. So the sin, as always, is Windows in Space. Yes, and sequels. Um, cool. Well, with that, let's head over to the holodeck to watch Season 3, Episode 8 of Lower Decks, and we will see you in 10 forward. Do the beam to just three toes. Welcome to Ten Forward, the part of the show where we grab a drink from the replicator and share our immediate thoughts and feelings on the episode we just watched together. Most important question first, what is your beverage of choice? I can't think of anything that came from this episode. Why? Oh, algae water for me, please. Sentient. It's sentient algae water. Danae continues to drink the bodily fluids and (laughs) just alive fluids of other things. I would like to have... um, I just a fresh hyper spray of whatever brought William back from the dead. Yeah, mm. we gotta talk about that. Yeah, I'm, we do. I'm kind of confused about that. Okay, well, I have a lot to explain considering you don't know who William is. Um, so this, but, but first the whole, but first the whole episode. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So this. So, so this. <laughs> do it. You do the. You do the summary for the part two of something you haven't seen part one of. <clears throat> In this episode of. Lower decks. <laughs> Interdimensional cable. Yes. Rick and Morty. It really is. We um basically have an adventure happening in the holodeck that has been magically programmed to do magical things that the magical plot needs to have happen for magical character development and have magical fun. But what's really happening is Boimler has a double that's evil. Mariner probably is realizing she has friendships. Tendi wants to be captain. Rutherford, this is right, robot, robot guy? Mm-hmm. Robot man, yeah, robot boy. <clears throat> Turns out not to be a dick. And I think maybe they want us to wrestle with life and death slightly. All in under 20 minutes. <laughs> to be fair, when you say it like that, 20 minutes, they did cover a lot of ground, really, didn't they? Yeah. So, my, I mean, first of all, fantastic summary. I think you hit all of the points. Um... How confusing was this? This is a common question because this is a direct reference. This series has referenced a lot of previous episodes. How confusing was this episode for you? It was confusing for me and I knew what was going on. I mean, it wasn't really that confusing at all. Why would it be confusing? Is it really confusing to you? Um, No, I, I don't. maybe not confusing. Maybe it's just it's very, very fast paced and it does go... It jumps around a lot because they had so much that they wanted to get to. I think it was pretty but, clear. It's like, so the party splits up and so you kind of have A plot, B plot. That, But nothing really was too confusing. What I, I'm not, maybe now I'm more confused now than I'm supposed yeah. to be confused. No, I mean like the Vindictor stuff because you haven't seen that episode. The, you haven't seen the first one of these. I don't even know what that means. But do I need to know what that means for this for this um, episode little, to be fun? A little bit, because Mariner is talking about her Vindictiverse, and Vindictor is her character that she made in the first Crisis Point, when she hijacked Boimler's uh, movie and mm, created this evil Vindictor character, and now she's mad at Boimler for making a sequel, which wouldn't fit into her Vindictiverse franchise. I didn't know if that was confusing to you and how why she was angry. No, no, no. I don't think so. Maybe because you mentioned it before that there was like, mm-hmm. this is the second one. Okay, well, that's great. Then that's good. Once again, the, the episode works because it works without knowing what happened last time. That's great. I always worry about that. 
I think I always think about like all the references I'm missing. And because we watched this in the same space, I noticed your happy squeal multiple times Mm -hmm. with seeing either ships or references to events or whatever. And I'm like, I definitely don't get that, but I know we'll talk about it later. So, yeah, I mean, the episode starts with just it's such a great start. It's balls to the wall. Exciting. Um, we got a new Romulan ship that looks like the fancy Romulan ships that are in uh, Nemesis, which is the last TNG movie, and there's your cold. And then the Wayfarer comes in, which is the Sovereign class ship, which is the end. The, that's what the Enterprise is, and it's what I have tattooed on my arm. And we got to see it animated, and it's on screen, and it looks so freaking badass. Like this show is so pretty. They do such a great job animating it, and the Cerritos looks incredible, and I loved it so so much. I'm a sucker, Janae. Sucker. So did you like this episode? Mm, Okay, that's the question, isn't it? Hmm. It had a very clear mission, which was to do a... You know what? No, I did like this episode. I really did. Because this did a... This entire episode was basically a send-up of Star Trek movies in general. So it kind of splits into two times. You have, like, the really thoughtful, thinky ones... And then the ones that are like super actiony, and that's where the, like the kind of the A team and the B team are split and going off in different directions. And you have people that hate the direction that the movie is going, and people that love the direction the movie is going, which is the Star Trek fandom. So I love it in that respect because it did. I think it managed to reference every single Star Trek movie, and we, we I can probably go through them as we go reference by reference, but. There was one that I was like, hi, it hasn't done that one yet. And then right at the end, I'm like, you son of a bitch. You managed to reference that one as well. So I, as like a 20 minute explanation of here's everything wrong and right with Star Trek movies. And like the line that sums it up um, is when Mariner says, who cares if it's a bad movie? It's a movie about Starfleet and that's worth telling. And that's a great summary of Star Trek movies and why most Star Trek fans are just happy to have a Star Trek movie. They don't really care whether it's good or bad. We're just like, yay, Star Trek, let's go! Did you like it, Ambassador? No, and then yes. (laughs) (laughs) Did you like it more after my explanation? No, 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 no. It was during the watching of it. So when when it first started, it was like, there's nothing at stake here for me because we're inside of a simulation. And so... Not only that, but Boimler created it, so nothing is surprising for him. It, I mean, I'm, so like it kicks off, and it's going to be an adventure, and then it quickly shifts because he has to go for an evaluation, and we find out later he learns that his, uh, he thinks his clone has died, at least if on official paper his clone dies, and so when he returns back to the what's the room called the holodeck, he is clearly like unwell and sad, and. At first, I think it's maybe he had a bad evaluation and maybe he's going to something bad is going to happen with work. I don't know. But he's like not into it at all. So not only is the person who created the mission not into it, I'm also not into it. And Mariner's not into it. So I was like, how long? How long can we all not be into it? Exactly. Yeah. But then they kind of shift away and they start playing around with the plot. So then it's like, oh, the computer is creating new characters to give, I guess, Boimler something to do. So he's kind of more interested in this random distraction from his pain that he's trying to find meaning inside of. And 
later on in the show, we found out that's uh, in his this, it was a death, and so you sort of realize that his distraction is more like grief and confusion, and he's searching for meaning. And I thought that was a really interesting way to kind of craft that. And then your the other people, Tendi and Rutherford, we get to see Tendi do the things that I didn't know if we were going to get to see her do again, which is be this badass pirate. You know what? What's her race in? Uh, she's an Orion. Yeah, so she's got this like history of being able to do these things, and we've seen it in previous episodes. And here she's applying her badassery to being a captain and realizing how strongly she wants to be taken seriously. And that was really fun too, because this program was meant for Boimler to be captain, but now suddenly is actually for Tendi. And that's really when the episode shifted for me to be fun to kind of watch. Um, it's got the mystery at the end, which they make fun of. But this episode is so in on itself, which they usually are. But this is like super, super in on itself. It's making all of its own jokes. It's pointing out all of its own flaws to the point where I'm so glad we're not having to sin it. <laughs> First of all, like, I'm like, Phew, this isn't like a this isn't an assignment because it'd be really, really difficult uh, when they're so in on their own um, on their own inconsistencies or their own plot mechanics. And this is all about like writing a story and making fun of how you write a story. And I can handle that for so long, but after a while, it's like, okay, well, then what are we doing? Like, what is this episode if we're just going to be making fun of? So it's a lot of references. I think it's a fun ride overall, but it, um, it's to me, it was kind of a filler episode. And I think it was probably just meant to move a little bit of the more emotional stuff for each character. Like, I think it like was supposed to give a little more heart to Mariner and a little more depth to Boimler and a little more focus to the others. And I think, I think that was, I think it was, it was, it was a clever way also to see them with like the main, like the A team, you know? Yeah. Because this is actually them on a, even though it's a hologram mission, it's a fully fledged real main A plot mission, which is on the holodeck pretty much the only way they're going to be able to do that with the B team because it kind of defeats the object otherwise. Um, I, the more I think about it, the more I like this episode. And I did initially think, oh, we're doing Crisis Point again. So is this just going to be a filler episode? And is this just an excuse to play with some toys? Um, but I kind of think each episode, they are focusing on being more episodic. And while it references stuff in the past, they're not doing too much of the running themes and the running arcs like the really serialized shows are this is much more strange new worlds than it is discovery or picard but um i do see what you mean especially with how fast and quick the references come at you it's hard to not see it as reference fest reference fest especially when you've got 13 movies that they're clearly trying to reference and just the but i do love that they're trying to talk about the whole of star trek movie subculture because Star Trek's kind of generally accepted to be on the TV screen is when it's at its best, and that's where it belongs, um, with weekly storytelling, Alien of the Week stuff. And then the movies are so hit and miss, It's and it's so dependent on the director and, and kind of just what they're going for with the movie that there's no guarantee you're going to have something that is kind of true to what Star Trek should be. It's like pretty much 50-50 at best. Um, but you said something really, really interesting where I was like, man, have you seen Star Trek V? Because you accidentally quoted it um, when you were talking about Boimler exploring his pain. Like that search for God that he, the um, Kit Kitia that he's searching for and 
the followers and the acolytes and then trying to understand his pain and find meaning in it. That is all Star Trek V. That's what... And Star Trek V is the most notorious Star Trek film going. We've seen it. Go over to cinemasins.com. One, dot com. Yeah, cinemasins on YouTube, whatever. Um, and we've seen that one to heck and back because it is... It's the most sinful Star Trek movie. Um, but you you almost said this word for word. It's a quote from Cybok, which is Spock's brother that we don't know about until this movie. Um, and he says, let us explore your pain together. Each man hides a secret pain. It must be exposed and reckoned with. It must be dragged from the darkness and forced into the light. Share your pain. Share it with me and gain strength from the sharing. And like half, like there was bits of that that you quoted earlier. And I was like, huh, have I you seen did? that movie? Yeah, you like find his pain and share it. What? Yeah. I must have blacked out. I thought sure you said like find strength in the pain as well. And I was like, huh, you're quoting Cyborg. That's weird. That's scary, but uh-huh. also cool. Because, yeah. you know, I want to be one of those Vulcans. So Not this one you don't. He's a Vulcan that's rejected logic and embraces emotions. He's the opposite. Okay. <laughs> you know what I meant. Um... I and I totally get what you mean about like the self-referential stuff. Like, I'm so glad we're not sending this because a, it's hard to send a holodeck story because it's meant to be ridiculous, and most of the things we'd say Mariner is saying. Um, and I think that's the only bit that gets a little bit tiring for me. Maybe this episode is it's hard to not compare it to Rick and Morty because Rick and Morty does the self-referential stuff so 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 well, and Mariner is basically like cinema sinsing the entire way through like oh hey you've got to have a love interest and oh here's the MacGuffin that moves the plot along and um what was the other one? Oh yeah you can't say that many made up words back to back lady like that's she should write for cinema sins the whole episode is just would be good at cinema sins would be good at cinema sins sins. yeah it really is yeah but at the same time I'm kind of glad that we got so I think a lot of the stuff is uh, was a little bit like I was just wondering when it was going to do something else. But then we did get to the other things and I had fun, but then it moved on so quickly to the next thing. Like you said earlier, it was kind of hopping around yeah, quite a, a bit. Um, because even our B-plot with Tendi, you know, they were going from like portal to portal to portal. I said there was going to be portals. Oh my God, you did. Holy shit. <laughs> Holy shit, you nailed it. What is wrong with me? Time portals. Oh my God. Um, to be fair, you predicted that two weeks in a row. If you keep predicting portals, eventually portals are going to happen. <laughs> um, but I did, I did really like that they did do the Star Trek thing, like Monster of the Week thing, with the um, what was his name? Knickknack. Uh, Knickknack. Rick Rack. Yeah. That was a that was kind of exciting. So like Mariner comes uh, back into the holodeck after she realizes that her friend is in pain, you know, from finding out about the clone's death to sort of join Boimler in whatever he wants to do and they decide to stay in the program and just see it through and this like strange character saves them and then he ends up ripping off his cloak (laughs) so great and he's just like this massive creature that just kicks ass and knickknack reveal yeah and and that's what i was saying like that was kind of fun for me when Mm. mariner like she knows where she is in the story (laughs) Which oh, is ridiculous. Really oh, yeah, huh. But at the same time, you know, Boimler is back into it fully, just enjoying it for what it is. And I kind of realized I was too. And I guess as a watcher of content, like we watch so much content, it's easy to sort of see both sides of our job in this episode where we sin and we enjoy. And sometimes it's just instantly back and forth in one scene. 
And that's why I think ultimately this episode is one I like, but it's not my favorite. It's not my favorite so far. Mm-hmm. No, I can see that. I get that. Um, I, I think I love it the most for the the overall discussion of Star Trek movies. I think that's where it saves it for me. But it like if you if you're not reading into that subtext, this is such a tricky episode to follow because it jumps around so much, and there's not a huge amount of laugh out loud moments. Like there's loads of pretty stuff on screen and adventury stuff and chases, but it's man the heart to heart moments are really tricky because there's not a lot of time for them like we just clip by so so quickly but at the same time i really like that moment when tendy just sort of like stood up for herself really strongly with rutherford and she's like you're not taking this seriously and why would he he's Mm. in a holodeck having a good time dismantling a bomb that has no (laughs) you know know, there's nothing at stake but then he realizes what's at stake is that tendy needs someone to take her seriously yeah. on that level and how quickly he's like fuck yeah i'm oh, in here man. with you that was a really tender moment for me i, I really like that i love that as well and he's like so oblivious but then when something is pointed out to him he's like oh ride or die i'll, I'll be there for you but let's get it sorted but he just has no like social skills or empathy like active empathy to like actually seek this stuff out himself but then when it's pointed out, he's all there. And that was a great moment. It was nice to see Tendi get a bit of development as well, because she's my favourite. And admit to herself that she wants to be a captain. Like, she's not going to be just a science officer. She actually wants to go the command route. So her, like, route is the most interesting for me. And I think she's the one most likely to get promoted and move on or something. Plus, there was that badass shot where she threw her bike into the vehicle and then did a backflip, yeah. like, dive thing over the explosion. That we got to see twice because we went back in time. <laughs> of course. Mm-hmm. She um she gets a ton of awesome action stuff. I love Tindy. Um, right, let's quickly do Boimler's clone. <laughs> in Star Trek The Next Generation, as all things lead back to, um, there is an episode, and I should have saved this for Trek or Triction, where Riker returns to a planet that he'd visited on a previous starship to um, basically recover some logs that they left behind because there's only one window every i think it's every 14 years or something where they can beam down and do some science and shit so it's been 14 years since they since he was last there the enterprise gets sent there to collect the logs he beams down there and finds himself but it's himself from 14 years ago because when they escaped the planet he was duplicated and a version of himself was left behind how transporters so the transporter left behind part of him? No, the transporter duplicated him. Why? Because transporters are murder machines. That's why. No, was it like a purposeful decision that oh, it no, no, made? No, no, no. It so, was an accident? No, so the thing that stops you from beaming up and down to the planet, that was starting to kick back up again. And it created some interference and split the transporter beam. So half the signal bounced back down to the planet and the other half made it up to the ship. But he's still a whole man? Still a whole man. Because the, the transport is just reconstituting you from what it knows. What is Tra- happening? Transporters should never exist. They on You die. You enter oh, a transporter, but listen, you I really die. want one because it would make travel so much well, easier. Well, you wouldn't know any difference. And I wouldn't know. You, how you wouldn't many... know any different. But you would die and be remade. Every time. Every time. How, but how many... How many of me would there then be if were they're duplicating everywhere? No, they're not. Just the one. Just the one on the yeah. specific Unless planet. Unless a freak planet accident. Which somewhere. is what happened with this one. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he's left behind for 14 years. And because they have Riker, they don't look for him. 
So he's like, why didn't anybody come to find me? And they're just like, we, we had Riker, like, you're fine. Um, so he's like got this big... Um, I mean, I don't. they don't get into fisticuffs. They don't get into fisticuffs, thank goodness. Um, good. Is, that, is this not the right time for that no, music? No, it's the right time. Oh, it's okay. just right next to me. <laughs> welcome to it my is, welcome to doing this show right beside me it is in my face <laughs> usually your mic like kind of zones that out for me and nope it's, it's in me um um anyway so transporter accident and and yeah so the other Riker goes off into the world and eventually becomes evil so last season almost exactly the same thing happens there's an accident where Boimler gets duplicated and his double is left on the Titan with Riker and just takes his place on there and um, our Boimler returns to the um, Soritos. And here we go. And I completely forgot he existed until he died in this episode. Okay, but he doesn't actually die and there's like a secret organization. It's probably the same organization that Rutherford had his implant with. That sounds right. Yeah, that sounds, that, that would make sense. And they have secret com badges. And how badly do I want one of those? You want one of the black com badges? One oh, of the yeah. dark ones? Yeah, of course you do. So section 31, really, really quick. They're like the secret police. They're really, really shady. They're like the Tau Shiar for the Romulans, but the Federation version of the Tau Shiar. So they do all of like the secret undercover shift shit. I'm sure that they are experimenting on the Rutherford stuff. And yeah, so now William is working for Section 31 and they have black com badges as introduced in, I think the black com badges were introduced in Discovery, I think. I'm not too sure. Okay, so in the future, we're going to have an episode where our Boimler accidentals his way into the mm-hmm. secret police. Oh, and he will love that. He will absolutely love being in Section 31. Well, I think he'll be fucking freaked out. Well, yeah, but he'll just be like geeking out a little bit as well. Like, I didn't think you guys were real, but you are. But then they would know that he's not the real Boimler. Who would? I'm sorry, and they would know oh, that he's not the it. clone Boimler. The yeah, clone Boimler, yeah, got it. Um, yeah, no, no, I was fine with that. I think that was cool. It was good to bring back Twin Boimler. I'm sure there's going to be some some drama that kicks off there. Um, right, anything else you wanted to say about what you loved in the episode? Well, we had a special guest appearance on yeah, this one. Actually, we did. there was two, but one of them's controversial, and the other one is mm. like, ooh. Let's do the most important one first. Um, punk not on a bus. I, was, I thought you were going to say the horse. <laughs> the horse that eats Boimler. And yeah, so they go back to 1982 or whatever, and they meet some punks, and one of them clearly has a boombox and is a, an homage to um, Kirk Thatcher, who um, played the original punk on the bus in Star Trek 3, 4, 3, 4, 3, 4, 4, the voyage home. Yeah, the voyage Don't home. Don't look the at whales. me, I have no idea. The one with the whales. Um, and there was a bit of like controversy, not controversy, but somebody tweeted I mean, at him and was just like, hey, why didn't they get you to voice this character? And he was like, well, they didn't ask me. But I'm like, he's been in Picard. Like, he got a cameo. He's fine. He's okay. He's in the new Marvel film, so he's doing fine. The directed TV Marvel film, anyway. Um, but yes, the bigger cameo, the one that was really, 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 really fun, we got Sulu. Did you know that was going to happen nope. this episode? Oh, you got to Did be surprised. Happen. I was Yay. surprised. Finally, there's a cameo in the show and I haven't been spoiled on it. Um, yeah, awesome cameo. Like And a good, like a really good scene. Really, really so, powerful. Really so good. essentially, uh, Boimler dies. <laughs> um, so in the holodeck, he is sort of distraught that the, his holodeck 
created people lead him to a disappointing end. <laughs> Surprise! And, and so he like climbs inside of this, I don't know, maybe it's like a condensed energy or something and it gets really hot and he dies or something um, and is eventually resuscitated in the sick bay. But his consciousness apparently <laughs> created wandered off somewhere this moment where he is in a farm in where where was idaho it? idaho yeah. with where kirk was supposed to be i don't know yeah. explain this to me because i'm sure it's mm-hmm. a reference to a reference to the things oh, it is. And, the, and the things so when i said that there was one movie they hadn't like referenced yet it was generations and i was like you son of a bitch so generations oh man they had to find a way to get Picard and Kirk to play together. And so they created this thing called the Nexus. And it's a thing that the bad guy is trying to get back to because it shows you a dream world where you can live wherever you want to live. Um, but the only way to get there is that he has to kill a ton of planets to adjust the course. He has to kill a ton of suns to adjust the course of the Nexus to intersect with a planet. But it will blow up that planet. And that's what they're trying to stop. So anyway, Picard gets sucked into the Nexus and so does Kirk at some point and they meet. And where they meet is on... There is no fighting. There is no fighting between Kirk and Picard. Well, there is, but no, like, fisticuffs. Um, And they meet on... For those of you at home, he has now said fisticuffs at least 12 times. Fisticuffs. (laughs) Fisticuffs? That too. Fisticuffs. Uh... (laughs) Um, so yeah, where Picard meets Kirk is on this farm barnyard thing in Idaho where um, Kirk is happily with his girlfriend or something like that. And yeah, that that's what that is. So it's a reference to Generations. So obviously we go up to this barn and it says Kirk on the box and we're like, we're going to get a Shatner cameo. And I was like, I kind of don't want a Shatner cameo. And it was perfect because Boimler thinks he's going to get Kirk as well. Sulu turns up and he's like, oh, much better. It's Sulu. I was like, oh, the shade. Do you think there was a Shatner shout out with the name of that moon that was like Shatanar or whatever? The, the, the moon that was called Shatanari? Yes, I think that was a Shatner <laughs> shout out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But no, it was great. Like Sulu, um, George Takei is super active in the Star Trek community. He's still going to conventions. He is such a positive voice. He's incredible and deserves all of the focus and attention. And more to more to George and less to Bill. Thank you. <laughs> but it was great. It was awesome. And that must have been so great for so great for Boimler to, to meet Sulu. And so great for like the cast as well to know that they're working with all of these Star Trek heroes, legends, and cameos as well. It's so great. So much fun. Before we go on, this might be a good transition to the sinning section of the program. Was all that happening in one holodeck? Uh yes. Do you want me to explain how holodecks work? <laughs> can you yeah does it much. just like create some sort of like a because they're not like the biggest rooms nope and they're in like completely different mm-hmm. realities within mm-hmm. the room okay okay go on you look incredibly I'm confident I'm bursting so it's all solved by drugs 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 would de- drugs drugs would definitely help um if i tell you that the floor moves that will help hopefully no, it doesn't help. So while that you sounds terrifying. while you think you're moving, you're not. It gives you the illusion that you're moving. So the floor moves beneath you with every step that you take, which means that you can walk a hundred miles and never leave the spot that you're standing on. But wait, 
and then all it all it does is project the uh, it, whatever's in front of you it projects that all around you and then changes the projection around you based on which direction you're walking uh, okay 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 so so does it like change the how gravity works in the room it can just like so when, like when teddy's on a bike for example mm-hmm. she's just sitting still mm-hmm. but she's in the air yep and she's grabbing nothing um no because it has physicality you can you can touch things so you'll be on a physical bike. So it's a replicator in there too. There's a replicator in there. So holodecks. Oh are my god, this is so dangerous. <laughs> so dangerous. Holodecks are transporters mixed with replicators. So all the people that are replicated into the holodeck mm-hmm. yeah. are real. Nope. Well, that's a debate. That's a debate because I mean, you can physically touch them, but they're light that's given physical form by force fields. But they're replicated. But they're replicated. Mm-hmm. So the only, I mean, real. This table is real. Doesn't make it alive. When it gets sentience and intelligence, then it's alive. So it's all real. They're just not real people because they have no brain. They just have a a, program. a basic program that's telling them how to react in certain I think situations. Data would have something to say about that. Data is a more complex brain. He's not just a input output thing. Although all of us are to some extent. Um. Uh, the, the the problem I have is that it's got to, the holodeck has got to be linked to each person's perspective in order to work because Tendi would have to see Tendi goes around a corner and what Boimler would see is Tendi going around a fake corner and then eventually if so so if Tendi just walked a hundred miles into the distance Boimler eventually she would get to the wall and Boimler would then see a projection of her getting smaller and smaller and smaller in the distance but from Tendi's perspective, she's actually seeing a new realm. So it's hard when you get more than one person in the holodeck. That's when it gets a bit ropey. And I don't understand. This is why holodecks are tricky. How's your brain? I just... I I think that they definitely use sheets. (laughs) Yep, I think that's more like... descend from the ceiling and, like, give them some sections. Because... That makes more sense. Yeah. You know, I'm an engineer, you know, Mm -hmm. now. So... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I want to really, really quickly see if they did tick off all of the movies, and I may, I may miss something. But the motion picture, when they, you know, when he goes inside the rock god thing, and it says Kitty Ya, but it's then Kitty Wright. That is a reference to Star Trek One, the motion picture, because there's this alien that's doing all kinds of nasty stuff, and it turns out this alien, this super intelligent alien, is actually, um, it come from Voyager, which is a probe that we've sent out into the solar system and the alien thing is called Vija and it's because they've scrubbed off the O and the E so all along they could have known from the off that they were following Voyager when it was Vija anyway that's Star Trek 1 Star Trek 2 the Wrath of Khan basically that whole chrono chronogami thing that's the Genesis device, which is a weapon of mass destruction. Star Trek Three is the one that I don't know that there's a reference to, because that's that's the search for Spock. And they don't really do much. Star Trek Four has the punk on the bus. Star Trek Five was all about the god and share your pain and find your pain and the acolytes. Star Trek Six, the undiscovered country. There's an assassination attempt. At, well, actually, that whole movie is about assassinating the president and destroying the Federation which is what they go back in time to do in this one. Generations, we have the Nexus. First contact, there's time travels, that's close enough. Um, Insurrection, 
No, I don't think there's an interaction reference other than... No, I don't think there is. And then Nemesis, the little bomb thing that the Romulan has to blow everyone up, they have one of those in Nemesis. So I'm sure the other two movies are referenced in there somewhere, but I'm just I'm missing them. I'll have to rewatch it again. But <gasps> whew, any final thoughts, Ambassador? I don't think I have anything else. Um, oh, 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 one last final thing. We got the Defiant, which was the ship at the end that was going to pick up. No, sorry. That was what we saw at the end with the cliffhanger with dead Boimler that was now alive. The ship. Oh, yes. This is the sound you made when you saw that. <laughs> so I don't know what the name of that was a great noise that I did not make. Um, I don't know what the name of that ship is, but it is a Defiant class ship. And that comes from Deep Space Nine. And they're so cool. I love that ship. Anyway, more ships, more ships. Love it, love it, love it. Okay. With that, it is time to head over for Reese Instances Futile Battle Stations, everyone. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Warning, warp core collapse in 10 seconds. This is the part of the show where we re-engage our sin brains, remind ourselves that no TV shows about sin, even our beloved Star Trek. Even when it spends the entire episode in a holodeck, and even when it spends the entire episode sinning itself. Ambassador, you first. Um, I think I would just start off by saying like this opens up on the perspective of the captain of the burrito, and then it shows the Romulan's ship interior, but this is actually a holodeck based around our characters, and so I don't know why we're seeing them. And maybe it's because it's a movie, and I didn't understand that, but you know, obviously they're trying to make it seem like this is an actual thing that's <laughs> happening, but <laughs> our characters are nowhere to be seen inside the holodeck that they're inside of. Yeah, that's a really great point because this is like watching, <clears throat> this is, <laughs> I guess this is like watching an Avengers movie, but they're not following the Avengers. So it's like, hey, let's go to this coffee shop down the road and see what the local police are doing. Um, and it kind of means that everyone is on board the Wayfarer waiting for their queue in their own holodeck program. So there's that let this play out, let this play out, and then we swoop in. When really the hologram would the the holo, the program would start when they swoop in to save the day. It's yeah, no, that's a great point. We would that's a great thing to sin. And um, my first one is a very nitpicky one for for Star Trek fans everywhere. Is that they went to twenty one sixty one, which is the birth of the Federation, which we know. I think I'm getting this right. That Captain Archer and his crew from Enterprise are all there in 2161 and they're all present and we didn't get a cameo we didn't get to see anyone it just it i wonder if the plan was to go there and to get a cameo and it didn't work out and they they maybe they'd done the animation maybe they'd done something and they had to stay in 2161 but how often are they going to get a reason to go back to the 2100s 200 odd years in the past to get a cameo from Enterprise, and they couldn't do it. They couldn't squeeze it in. So it's going to still be a holodeck program or something random, but that was it felt like the perfect opportunity, and I'd be interested to know if, did a schedule conflict happen? Did something just go wrong where we missed out on a cameo? 
We'll never know. Um, I guess you answered this one, but at one point in time, Mariner leaves the holodeck to go to her review, and the cloak that she was wearing inside the holodeck goes out with her. And I guess that's because it's all replicated. Um, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right, because it's replicated. And sometimes they will wear costumes into the holodeck as well. But it's very hit and miss what's allowed to leave the holodeck and what isn't. Like, there's a great um, early, early, early on. This might be like episode three or four of TNG. Um, Wesley is having a snowball fight in the holodeck. Gets covered, covered in water and snow and whatnot. Throws a snowball and it leaves the holodeck and hits Captain Picard. <laughs> and I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? And then he walks out of the holodeck and is covered, is still wet. Um, is covered in snow and whatnot. And he actually, no, in a different episode, he falls into a pond and leaves the holodeck completely wet. So it's not holographic water. That's actually water that is being replicated and is real. It's just, it's interesting where the distinctions lie. And I still think it's a little bit ridiculous that Boimler was genuinely, I know he's like going through some trauma and he's having a rough time, but he's genuinely trying to find the meaning of life in a holodeck program that he wrote and at best, the is, is just the computer coming up with stuff on the spot. And Mariner mentions this, but Boimler is just... He's an intelligent dude, and yet he's just, like, blinded by it. And is like, hey, computer, what's the meaning of life? I just go to your quarters and answer that. <laughs> yeah, he's a little delusional. Okay, next up. Um, Mariner makes a very strong assumption that the character... So they're kind of like walking down this corridor and they're wearing their cloaks and it's just before the Romulans jump out of like a some sort of a side area and the quote-unquote sequence picks up and this is when Boimler is kind of talking to these side characters that the holodeck had apparently created and she's so incredibly confident when she's saying you know this isn't the sequence and these people are useless and she's telling us what the show wants us to know but she didn't make this entire story she has no idea what boimler actually programmed and so i would probably try to sin how quickly she becomes the voice of the writer that wants to tell the audience what is going on so that they can quickly follow where they're wanting to go when i don't think that she should have made that assumption that quickly Mm, i get that yeah like who knows? This could be exactly what Boimler wanted to happen and wanted to do. Yeah, she was confident. Like, these are side characters. Like, you don't know that. You don't know that. Um, it is funny that, like, this movie is focusing... Oh, sorry. That Boimler gets stuck on a side quest. And yet that side quest is the entirety of Star Trek V. It's such a slam on Shatner's decision to, to like, where to take that story. It's like, yeah, this is a side quest that they decided to make a movie out of. Like, why have they done this? Um, I just want to know the, the logistics of making a map on a back that only works when you fold the skin flaps over. Because you have to rely on that person not losing weight, gaining weight. Like, those flaps are only going to fold a certain way depending on how flappy this man remains. No, you just remove the skin. But if you remove the skin, how do you know where it's going to fold together? Well, that's part of the fun, right? Like, if you're an evil, dark person, you just, you know, murder this thing and then you just, like, skin fold. I don't want to do this anymore. This is gross me out. Uh, Easy sin. Go. Throwing phasers. I know. Uh, sorry. <laughs> I literally just threw Danae's phone out of her hand. Um, yeah, throwing phasers. Never do it. Riker does it to Beverly one time. And it's like, just stop throwing the phasers, please. Enough. 
they do it at the very beginning and then when they go back in time they replay that scene again and they throw them again it's like we could just send it twice yeah absolutely. ding again um they do it in strange new worlds as well just handing out phases to everyone i assume there's a safety button but still but still um i man it's so hard to send this show i really don't have many more i could probably man if i was like sitting down and really sending it i'm sure i could find it but uh, an easy one for me, I guess. That oh, I'm, as this, as this, it's actually the, the the last. This is the last one I yeah. have. Why would anybody make part of their program being falling in fake love with a beautiful doctor person in front of their friends? Like, uh huh. Like in the mo, so Boimler and his and buddies are like gonna go solve the next part of this mystery, and Boimler is bummed and not really into it. So it makes that scene okay because he's not doing the love interest part. But you have Mary in the background like, okay, here we go, the big love scene. It's like, why is anyone excited to see Boimler hit on nothing? So the in front of your friends thing, I totally get it. However. I don't want to talk about what the holodeck is used for in private time. I'm just saying in front of your friends. That's oh, no, the thing. No, no. I wasn't even going to go there because that's obvious. Like the the holodeck is 97% used for porn. Like that's just a fact. It just is. But if you think about it, you haven't seen Star Trek V. But in Star Trek V, there is an alien that makes out with Kirk. And it's completely bizarre. They just, she's awkwardly lying on top of him. They kiss. And he gets a couple of kisses in that movie. And this is a movie that is directed, written, invented by Shatner in front of his friends. So it, I think it's kind of a nod that Boimler is doing the same thing that Shatner was doing as well. And it's just, it is strange. It's hard to not think, really. You wrote a kissing scene with a sexy alien in the movie that you're making for your character. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it's for the story. Of course it is. <laughs> yeah, that's that, that's got a sin all over it. <laughs> yeah, it really does. Like, I'm actually really pissed off I didn't sin in the in the Cinema Sins video. I should have sinned that Shatner wrote, directed, and invented this scene so that an alien could kiss him, not Kirk. That's amazing. That's so great. Um, yeah, love it. Um, I really love this episode. I think it's saying some really, really deep stuff about Star Trek fandom in general. I'm so conflicted about whether it works as an episode on its own, though, without the references and without the the underlying metaphor. It's so, so tricky. But, hey, it's 22 minutes. I think they do a great job. As overall. a person who doesn't understand any reference, I thought it was okay. Okay, cool. That's bizarre, but I love it. <laughs> I'm glad you had a good time. Um, two episodes left. I'm, I'm excited. Like, ooh, no more Lower Decks until next year. But we're getting another season, so that's exciting. Um, right. As always, thank you for listening, everyone. It's these graphics are mind-blowing from me. And this horse will bite you from me. <laughs> and live long and potsper. Thanks for listening. Want to connect with the show? Our hailing frequencies are always open through captainspod at cinemasins.com. Like, comment, and subscribe on your podcast player of choice, and be sure to visit cinemasins.com. Don't read my intro. Don't read my really... intro. I'm not, 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 I'm not. Okay. Welcome to... So... Usually, we are recording from the um, from the Dicer household. No, the Sinterprise. Sorry, the 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 recording place where we usually record on the Sinterprise. 
um, the entire deck has been wiped out by a stomach bug. So we are now recording. No, 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 no. What's, what? what's, the clever, what's the clever one that would be from Star Trek? Oh, it'd be like, so the one I put on Twitter was the Rigelian flu because Awful shit. people always seem to get the Rigelian flu. Like they've gone to Risa and somehow instead of getting the Risa flu, they're getting the Rigelian flu. Plus it says jelly. So. Jelly. So Commodore Dicer has been completely wiped out and took out half of the ship with him, which is very inconsiderate. Um, so we're now recording from uh, the Jeffrey's Tube on Deck 9. <laughs> it is just as uncomfortable as you would imagine. So we're just like sharing this one mic going backwards and forwards um, in the Jeffrey's Tube, which are super cramped. Uh, yeah, so if this episode sounds weird... This like is, shit? This is in the outtakes, so you've already put up with it. <laughs> but now it's all making sense. <laughs> now it makes sense as to why it sounds like shit, yeah. But this does remind me of the episode of TNG called Disaster, um, where Captain Picard gets stuck in a turbo lift for the entire episode with three kids. And it's like they're a bit like kind of antsy to begin with, but then they all make friends and he commands that they stop crying. And they do stop crying because you listen to the captain when you're a child and you stop crying. So he makes one of them his like second officer. He makes the other one something else. And then the youngest kid... He makes executive officer in charge of radishes because he had a science project based on radishes. Track or triction? <laughs> track or triction. <laughs> this is totally track. Yeah. Just based on your delivery um, and how much fun you had telling me about that. I do have concerns about how much you remember about Star Trek. Oh, I can. I can like, I mean, in that episode as well, Data loses his head literally. Like, Riker has to remove his head and take it with him to engineering to fix all of the things. Um, so, yeah, that's that's good. And there's this really, really great moment where, like, there's this natural disaster that's attacked, that's hit the Enterprise and caused all of the things to go wrong. Um, and Chief O'Brien is explaining exactly, like, what it is. And Deanna is out of her depth a little bit and says, oh, so it's like a quantum string. And O'Brien and someone else just looks at her and goes, no. <laughs> That's an entirely different phenomenon. And Tiana's just like, okay, I'll leave. I'll just go back to my quarters. Ow, your dog just licked me out of nowhere. How did you say ow then? Um, it made me jump. So now in the Jeffreys tube, we have Ian, Danae, and Reese's. And one dog. Oh, dog has left. Wait, what does he know that we don't? Have I ever told you about the adult that told me not to cry? No. It's really fucked up, so. Uh-huh. Do you want me to tell you the fucked up story? Please. Well, there's the obvious ones of like adults, just like regular adults, like my parents or whatever, saying, stop crying, don't cry. Mm -hmm. And I think it was because, you know, they were like just not wanting to deal with whatever trauma I was experiencing. Mm -hmm. But I was told to not cry when my cat, my dead cat was handed to me. Wait. So that was one. Why was your dead cat handed to you? You'll have to ask the adults in charge of that moment. This is something I wanted to do last week, but it was tricky because we were on a time limit, I think. Or whatever. Which which we are on today. Which too. we are also on today. But less so because we're not live. Because everyone's poorly. Um, but the an extended trailer for season three of Picard was released last week. And what I want you to do is use your prediction powers to guess what were the big moments in the trailer from season three. And I think all you know so far is that the vast majority of the cast is returning. Well, first of all, I'd like to point out that the two dogs, one is in charge of radishes, the other... Yes. <laughs> Eating them? The other is first officer or whatever. Uh, 
something is very strange with them right now. I don't know what it is, but they are like super activated. I don't, I don't know what it is. It's distracting. Okay, here's what I don't know. Almost anything. I do know that Worf um, has white hair. Yeah. Because I saw an image uh, because people can't stop being excited about it and sharing it with their friends, which I understand. Fuck those people. But I am really curious because it the excitement of it echoed through three different places in my life. One was in work. Oh, yeah. That was. Then, of course, just like with you and a couple of other, you know, Trekkie friends. And then there was another, uh, like, group of people that were just they couldn't stop talking about their excitement of it and of course i saw some stuff on twitter not like visuals but i saw like chatter essentially on twitter I know. can i just explain what happened really quick between me jeremy and jonathan so we have a captain's pod channel at work and jeremy saw the trailer first and just went holy shit the trailer and i'm just like wait i haven't seen it and jonathan's like wait i haven't seen it so i go and watch it and I reply, holy shit, that trailer. And Jonathan's like, I'm not going to watch it at all because I don't want to be spoiled. So Jeremy's like, quick, private channel. So he jumps onto like our private chat and is like, holy shit. And we both list exactly the same things in capital letters at the same time. And we nerd out and then go back to the captain's pod chat, where Jonathan's like, I don't want to be left out. I watched the trailer. And we all just nerd out about it. It was a fun, fun trailer. Really fun. My first question. Yes. Do I know the things that everyone's excited about? Like, you know, sometimes you'd be like, oh, it's a ship. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. I don't know what the, the Agamemnon looks like. Um, yes, there's only one huge one that you wouldn't be able to guess. Okay, okay, okay. Mm -hmm. I'm going to guess that Riker and Troy's daughter joins them. Prediction number one. I'm going to guess that there's a new android. Prediction number two. I'm going to guess that... Hmm, I'm trying to remember what happened in like the previous season. Mm, to see if there's any callbacks. Yeah. Like, what's the big thing that brings everybody together? Is it that Queen Borg comes back, Agnes returns, and she's just like, you know what? <sighs> it's kind of nice, and that's just not <laughs> how I shit goes. Get out of here now. Or she's just like fully Borgified. And she wants to take everybody down. And so they have to like get the crew back together to save the day because they're, for whatever reason, the only ones. Oh, Wesley. Wesley could come. You know, I don't know. I don't know how to predict anything. I wish I wish I I wish I I wish I had time to think about it. I'm just going with you what flashes time. in front yeah. of my face. In That's my, how predictions usually work. In my imagination. Oh, yeah. Worf's kids coming back. Oh, that would be cool. Oh, I guess that's not happening. Oh, shit. Fuck. It wasn't in the trailer, at least. Sorry. I need to not react to your predictions. <laughs> I'm so bad at this game. <laughs> Prediction number three, Wolf's kids come back. <laughs> Spock comes back. <laughs> nope, nope, can confirm. No. <laughs> I mean, that would be really cool, though. But it would have to be either Zachary Quinto, Spock, or Ethan Peck's. Ethan Peck? Is it Ethan Peck? Ethan Peck. My boyfriend? Spock. Yeah, oh. him. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't know that yet, but um, yeah, or him aged up. That would be really fun. I know one for sure. Mm -hmm. LeVar Burton's daughter is going to be one of the people. Yeah. Did you see that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I did retweet it. As you well. sure fucking did. Yeah, Captain. I did. So she's actually going to play um, she's gonna, daughter. Uh, it's so great. I'm it's so excited. Perfect. Yeah. That I'm really looking forward mm -hmm. to seeing because I enjoyed her on Critical Role quite a bit. She she's played a fun. really fun character. Mm -hmm. She's really, really fun. We like Mika Burden. She's great. Huh? Nice. 
Security alert. <laughs> Someone's trying to get into your account. You should probably stop that. But it's me. I should still stop that. But it's me. <laughs> I've been left alone in the Jeffrey's tube. I'm all alone. Floating through space. Technically, I'm not floating. I'm in the Jeffrey's tube with fake gravity, but also technically I'm in a ship and that's floating through space, but technically not floating. It's propelled. Space is fucking scary. I'm probably gone. Space is fucking scary. But if a card is here, it'll be alright. Oh, space. You're fucking scary. I'm all alone in the Jeffrey's tube. Oh, here comes Captain. Here he comes. Here he comes. Welcome back to the show, everybody. But but don't but don't wonder for one moment how long it's been since we recorded last. We maybe got a little distracted by some Pillsbury treats that went in the toaster. It's been a while. And I may be covered in icing at the moment. Danae is apparently a child, and all I see out of the corner of my eye is um, her with her phone in one hand, watching Twitch, and then this, like, raspberry toasty bake thing. It's called a toaster strudel! A toaster strudel that is just dripping jam down <laughs> her arm. And I look down, and there's just, like, a puddle of jam on the floor. There's a splodge on her knee. The dogs are just like, this is the best day ever, and just licking everything. <laughs> Did you see whenever I had to take the case off of my phone because I got icing dripped into the crevices of my phone? It is impressive. She had to take the silicon case off of her phone <laughs> because the strudel jelly had, like, eaten its way in, and she's like, I'm just a mess. To be fair, it was the icing, you know, and it was on the top. It wasn't in the middle, you know. But, yeah, I'm... I, I feel like I'm a, a kid again right now. I'm super fucking sticky, though. <laughs> so I'm going to try not to touch the microphone. I really don't want to be anywhere near you because you are. I can see how sticky you 